1: Welcome to Sleepover Cinema, where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of those who would gladly punch Jason Bateman in the face. I'm Hannah Leach. And
0: I'm Audrey Leach. We are the sister filmmaking duo, also known as Two Pink Pictures, and we have not stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them.
1: We're going to explore the good, the bad, and the nonsensical of the movies that first inspired our love for film in an attempt to answer the question are these movies actually good? And at the end of the day, do we really care if they are?
0: Today, we are talking about 2007's yeah, Juno. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm pregnant. What? I'm I've taken like three pregnancy tests and I am four shiz up the spout. How did you even generate enough pee for three pregnancy tests? I'm telling you I'm pregnant and you're acting shockingly cavalier. Is this for real? Yes. Phuket toilet.
1: That ain't no etch-a-sketch. This is one doodle that can't be undid, Holmes Gillett. I think it's best to just tell him I'm pregnant. Who's the father? <laughs>
0: Pauline Bleeker?
1: I don't think he had it in. I know, right?
0: (laughs) Wow, your shorts are like especially gold today. Uh, My mom uses color-safe bleach.
1: Welcome back, everyone, to an exciting new installment of Sleepover Cinema. Talking about a movie that we have really been eager to unpack for a while now. Ever since we realized that it falls into this category, we were like, oh shit, let's talk about this.
0: Maybe some of you would think it doesn't fit into this category. But but we do. it is by far the most critically acclaimed film we will ever get on this show,
1: probably. (laughs) Unless at some point we get desperate and we do like Lady Bird or something, then maybe. But uh, this movie, which to me feels very much like a spiritual predecessor to Lady Bird, uh, was a really interesting movie for us to get into. But before we get into all the facts and figures for this movie. We just want to bring up that we are having our very first live trivia event on Friday, August 13th. It's going to be co-hosted by us and Darren of Under the Tree with DXC. You will recognize him from our Bring It On episode. He's a really good trivia writer and it's going to be on Zoom. So you can come no matter where you are and it will be fun and there will be a Sleepover Cinema goodie bag for the winner. So you should come win it.
0: (laughs) It's going to be a good time on
1: Friday, August
0: 13th at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. But you can register at the link in our
1: bio. Yes. And also, today's a little bit different because uh, I did not do the research for this episode. Audrey did. So she is going to guide us through the facts and figures surrounding this movie. So... Audrey, would you like to take us away? Yes.
0: All right, so Juno was released theatrically on December 5th, 2007 in the U.S. Um, the like rollout of Juno is a little bit different than the movies we usually cover because it is considered an indie film. So a lot of times, indie films that end up getting theatrical releases go on the film festival circuit first and, like, gather all their acclaim and hype, and that is what (laughs) allows them to cross into the theatrical distribution world. So Juno premiered at Telluride Film Festival. It went to Toronto Film Festival, Austin, and it also was played at a lot of international film festivals. As far as the Oscars go, it was nominated for Best Picture, Best Actress, Directing, and Best Screenplay. It actually won Best Screenplay. And I was just thinking how funny it is that we've never been able to talk about the Oscars on this show. (laughs) Not once. So the fact that it is critically acclaimed and Sleepover Cinema approved is rare. Very rare. Juno was directed by Jason Reitman, who is known for Up in the Air and Thank You for Smoking as a director, but he also is an executive producer, and it seems that him and Diablo Cody have an established working relationship. He was the executive producer on Jennifer's Body and also Whiplash, which is Not Diablo Cody, but it's a good movie. But good. (laughs) Yeah. And um, J.K. Simmons. Hey, there's a connection. Yes. They're definitely all like a network of people who like to work together. And then he's also executive producing an unspecified HBO Diablo Cody TV series in the near future, which is very exciting. And Diablo Cody had... I don't know that she's been, like, out of the game, per se, but she certainly is experiencing a resurgence in popularity. So, I, like, this makes a lot of sense to me. Definitely. Um, Juno was produced by 10 people, and that is kind of a common thing also for indie films where they have a lot of support from people in the industry, but they don't have a ton of money. So that's when you'll Mm -hmm. end up having like a lot of people pulling favors and then getting producer credits because there's like no, like real way to financially compensate them. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So, but I, I listed the top, three. And that's Joseph Drake, who produced Juno and all the Hunger Games movies. Um, Daniel Dubiecki, who obviously produced Juno. I'm listing them for Juno. (laughs) Juno, Up in the Air, and Money Monster. And then we have Leanne Hafon. And this one makes a lot of sense to me because of what her most popular works are. Juno, Perks of Being a Wallflower, and Ghost World. Like that. Yes. That is perfect for this movie. Like, mm-hmm. it makes sense. And then Juno was written by Diablo Cody, who I feel like there's a lot of kind of like intrigue around, kind of, especially now. Yes. Maybe people knew more about her in 2007 and around those years. But, Hannah, what do you like?
1: What comes to mind when you think of Diablo Cody? Diablo Cody? Yeah. The, to me, the thing that comes to mind when I think of Diablo Cody is the dialogue style. Like, I'll get into it more when we start talking about the movie, but I think of woman slash girl centered, really strong dialogue, kind of quirky and like a little bit before it's time stylistically. Mm -hmm. Those are the things that that I think of.
0: Yeah, me too. So most notably, Diablo Cody is the writer of Juno, Young Adult, Tully, and Jennifer's Body, Um, which if if you watch the show, obviously you know and have seen the the surge of appreciation and um, just love towards Jennifer's Body and Megan Fox because she has a movie that recently came out. And so in all her press stuff, I've been watching her in like all the press videos and she's just... She always talks about Jennifer's body and how much she loves that movie. Um, And then I found this, like, (laughs) I forget what it was on, but I found somebody who had written what her trademark is as a writer. And I feel like they really Mm -hmm. nailed it. Mm -hmm. And they said her writing frequently centers on a woman or girl with a public and obvious external struggle who is also hiding a much more personal internal struggle. That is like right on the money. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And then this is a fun fact, but Diablo Cody is not her actual name. So apparently the name Diablo Cody, um, it became her pen name and she invented it while speeding through Cody, Wyoming, listening to the song El Diablo by Arcadia. Somehow Ooh. stuck those those names together. It is, it is a cool name,
1: honestly. Yes, I totally agree.
0: And then I kind of want to just outline like her career path because it is pretty bizarre, I guess, when you think about the typical person who um, becomes an Oscar-winning screenwriter. Um, Mm -hmm. She wrote blogs um, for a long time, like, while she was working normal day jobs and all that stuff. She would write blogs under, like, alias names, and, like, they were pretty autobiographical, but you wouldn't really know, basically. It was, like, anonymous. And then she ended up quitting her day job and becoming a stripper, and she would write blogs about that. She would just, like, write using her life experiences, basically. And then Mm. she ended up writing for a newspaper, which led to writing an article for, I think it was a weekly column, for Entertainment Weekly. And then she wrote a memoir, which got her a manager who was the first person who encouraged her to write a screenplay. So... And that's how we've received these gems in our lives. Yeah, so it's it's a meandering path, but I think it's interesting and like rare. Yeah,
1: definitely. And then there's one other thing on this outline that. So okay, obviously this episode is going to get into reproductive rights. Like that is just what a thing we are going to talk about. Um, So maybe if you have experiences with pregnancy or having been pregnant, or if it's like a sensitive subject for you, um, maybe skip this one. But anyway, specifically, I guess in 2019, after this anti-abortion law came out, came dropped lol no was signed into <laughs> law in 2019 it was a specific law where abortion was banned past the six-week mark which like for reference you would that means that if your period is two weeks late and you haven't figured it out yet it's too late for you to get And abortion. Like, it's really, 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 really early, and it's very inhumane. It's an inhumane law. Mm -hmm. Um, And Diablo Cody stated that after that law was signed into or, like, ratified or whatever, she regretted writing Juno as it is because the movie has been perceived as an anti-choice film, which... I find really interesting, and it kind of struck me in a similar way when I was watching it. Mm-hmm. Um, but we can get into that more when we are discussing our reactions to the movie. So, anyway, just keep in mind we will be getting into that uh, in this episode. So, Audrey, do you want me to read the log lines? Yeah. Okay. So we have a decide. good side.
0: No, like okay. I, honestly,
1: I, they're both good.
0: I I just okay no.
1: Okay, well, here's two of them. So the first one. When precocious teen Juno McGuff becomes pregnant, she chooses a failed rock star and his wife to adopt her unborn child. Complications occur when Mark, the prospective father, begins viewing Juno as more than just the mother of his future child, putting both his marriage and the adoption in jeopardy. That's that, that's accurate. That is what yeah, the movie
0: is about. It's accurate. Um,
1: I will say that that one sort of um puts like, the plot emphasis on Mark a bit more. Yeah, um, yeah. Whereas this second one, it's much more reductive, but faced with an unplanned pregnancy, an offbeat young woman <laughs> makes an unusual decision regarding the unborn child. It's not an unusual decision, really. I mean, I guess no. maybe it is. It kind well, of, actually, it kind of is.
0: What's unusual is the whole like, yeah, I'm fine with a closed adoption. Like, it's like the way that... Juno goes about it. That is unusual. Yeah, I guess so. And just being like physically present in their house all the time. Like it is unusual.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I think it's more like an offbeat young woman makes unusual decisions regarding the adoption process. Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Cool. And then tagline, you got to read it. It's your thing. So the tagline for Juno is a comedy
0: about growing up. Dot, dot, dot. And the bumps along the way.
1: Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha Good one. Hilarious. Oh, man. Okay. Audrey, take us through this cast. Okay. Well,
0: this cast is stacked. And yes. I thought an interesting note about this movie. As I mentioned, it, it was relatively low budget, especially for the actors they were trying to get and did get. So a lot of them ended up taking below their standard rate Because they loved the script and they were like, I just want to be a part of it. I don't really care about the payment, Um, especially Jennifer Garner. She was like kind of the lead of that. But uh, I'm just going to get into the cast. I'm going to list them off kind of fast because there's a lot of them. So yeah. first we have Elliot Page, who plays Juno, and he is known for Inception, Hard Candy, X-Men, and The Umbrella Academy. We've got Michael Sarah, who plays Polly, who is known for Superbad, Scott Pilgrim vs. The World, and Nick and Nora's ex... No. <laughs> Bill and Ted's Excellent <laughs>
1: Adventure. <laughs> Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist. <laughs> Oh my god. I do wanna say I I want to throw Super Bad into the running for a sleepover cinema episode because I love that movie and I have yeah. watched it at sleepovers, so.
0: Yeah, we should honestly. Yeah.
1: We would probably have a good take on it.
0: <laughs> probably. And I haven't seen it yeah. that much. I've only seen it's it like so twice. Good. Yeah. Um, next we have Jennifer Garner, who plays Vanessa. Obviously, she's in 13 Going on 30, and she's also known for Alias and Daredevil, which I have not seen. (laughs) Sorry, Jennifer. Me Me neither. Next, we have Jason Bateman, who plays Mark. (laughs) He's known for Arrested Development, Bad Words, and Zootopia.
1: (laughs) Oh, he is known for Zootopia.
0: We got J.K. Simmons, who's playing Juno's father for La La Land, Spider-Man, and Whiplash. Mostly Whiplash. I feel like at least people our age would think of him. This
1: makes so much more sense. I was like, wait, what? (laughs) Okay, got it, got it.
0: And then we have Allison Janney, who plays Juno's stepmom. And she's most known for The Help, Hairspray, and The Hours. She's also in a movie that I recently... Well, I didn't really recently work on it, but it came out recently, and it's called Breaking News in Yuba County. It's not a good movie, but if you <laughs> watch it, my name is in the credits, so hey, that's fancy. fun. <laughs> um, and then we have Olivia Thurlby, who plays Leah, who's Juno's best friend, and she is best known for No Strings Attached, Dread, and The Whackness. <laughs> wow. Um, but I love her. I just want to say... That yeah, I really she's great like her in this
1: movie.
0: and she deserves more roles. And yes. then I also wanted to note the random Rain Wilson appearance. <laughs> like
1: He really is very memorable. Yeah. He's good. All right. Do you wanna do the budget stuff? You do the budget and then I'll do the reviews. Okay. So
0: the budget for Juno was a mere $7,500,000. Um, so pitiful and sad. Just <laughs> kidding. The box office opening weekend was $413,869, and that's only because it premiered in seven theaters, and that is also common Got it. for a film of this type. Um, but... Good news the overall worldwide gross is 232,372,681. Wow. So, yeah, safe to say it was a hit, and that's incredible. Wow. And Diablo Cody should have gotten like 40 projects from that. I mean, I'm sure she did, I'm sure she did offers wise but like probably that kind of success is really rare in the in this Definitely. particular rate oh my gosh yeah in this particular lane
1: <laughs> yeah i mean this movie made a really really big cultural impact for certain as well like one one thing about it that i feel when i was watching it is when We first saw this movie, or when I first saw this movie, I was really struck by the dialogue, and I was like, whoa, no one talks like this. Like, Mm -hmm. this is so out there. But when I listen to it now, I'm like, oh, this is how people talk. Yeah. (laughs) And I'm wondering if that's just because I grew up or if her movies did make that big of an impact on, like, media in general. Um, I feel like it did make a really big impact in her kind of, like... Flare sort of bled into other media for the same audience. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. So, yeah, hell yeah. It definitely for her. did. Yeah. So, okay, now into these reviews. So, I think that this is the highest critic score we have ever had on Mm -hmm. a Sleepover Cinema episode. This movie received a 94% critic score on Rotten Tomatoes and is generally praised for its charm. And the critic consensus is as follows. One of the brightest, funniest comedies of the year, Juno's smart script and direction are matched by assured performances and a coming-of-age story with a 21st century twist. Andrew Mayle of Empire says, a sharp-edged, sweet-centered, warm-hearted coming-of-age movie that's always just a little bit smarter than you think it is, which is such a (laughs) classic thing for someone to say. Yeah. Like, Like, it's about a girl, and it's about a teenage girl, and it's not stupid. Like, can you believe it? yeah and then the next one matthew lucas from the front row whereas most people have seen charm and wit i saw self-conscious quirkiness and an excessive smugness that i found (laughs) off-putting so okay i kind of get what he's saying because at the time at the time i cannot emphasize enough like listening to the dialogue you're like oh they like Like, they really think they're doing something here. Like, you Mm -hmm. can kind of get that vibe from it if that's what you're looking for. But I think that it has aged really, really well. So, jokes on Matthew Lucas. Yeah. And last but not least, Roger Ebert said it was the best movie of the year. So, take it from our king. When he tells you the truth, you have no choice but to ingest it because you know Ebert knows best. So, now, with audience score, there was an 88%. Audrey, would you like to detail this a little bit?
0: Yes. So as I scroll through all of the audience reviews, I see the same things over and over and over again, which is like great writing, great cast, a refreshing take on this type of story, you know? And then you'll get like a few one-offs in there. And I found this one, which I felt like it has the energy of like if Diablo Cody had... Because Diablo Cody studied, like, media and film. Like, whoever Diablo Cody's peers are that are, like, mad that she's successful, that's, like, what I get from this. Uh Uh-huh. So... This is what they said. My name is Diablo or something. I used to strip. Now I write witty scripts for second-rate actors to be in. Marvel at my ability to write quirky lines for my quirky characters to say. Fall in love with the quirky hamburger phone. Be amazed at all the quirky music choices the movie has to offer you. Remember, I used to strip. Isn't that quirky? (laughs) they're mad they're They're so so
1: mad mad. (laughs) you know what though I feel like that is so in the style of like the popular misogyny of that time Mm -hmm. like it's kind of like the precursor to like the pick me girl thing or like the not like other girls thing but I feel like and I can, I mean, I don't want to say, like, I can see it, but, like, I remember what that whole thing was like. And uh, it's kind of like, so I, like, hated Zoe Chanel in high school and middle I, school. I and, literally like, was thinking of her. I was about to bring up New Girl or something. Yeah, it's kind of like that. And I feel like that sort of, like, girl who's, like, quirky but hot thing has kind of died out. But yeah. it, that was, like, Zoe Chanel's pocket. Like, that was her whole thing. And yeah. I feel like this movie was even more extreme. Than that, it just there's a really certain flavor to this kind of criticism that I understand because I was there for it. But at the mm-hmm. same time, uh, it just comes off really bitter. <laughs>
0: so. and, and I think it was appealing at the time. Like it was, yes. it was easy. It's just easy, yes, to feel that way. So, Audrey, what was the goss at the time? So, 2007 is a year absolutely. with celebrity drama. Um, Mm -hmm. But I was thinking it can pretty much be summarized as the media exploiting women nonstop. (laughs) just... Yes. Just over and over and over again. We have the Justin Timberlake-Cameron Diaz split. Um, Sadly, Anna Nicole Smith passed away in 2007. Lindsay Lohan went to rehab. Vanessa Hudgens' nudes were leaked. Britney shaved her head. And Jamie Lynn got pregnant. And these are all... Within the same year, wow! And so I feel like at the time, oh, all the obviously this has been very over, kind of overanalyzed in the past year or so because everyone like yeah. is into this stuff. But um, the climate for like being a human being in media at the time was god awful. Yes.
1: It was, like, basically the last gasps of, like, the tabloid era because, like, social media wasn't really a thing yet. And I feel like this was the time when, like, the paparazzi stalking and, like, the general pressure was, like, at its highest, probably. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, like, nobody, with social media, it's kind of like you're stalking yourself.
1: Like, <laughs> you're, like... Right, or, like, you're choosing what to share. Yeah, It's also really interesting at the same time, like social media wasn't a huge thing yet, but it was enough to the point where Vanessa Hudgens's nudes being leaked was a thing that could happen Mm -hmm. and made a big impact. It's kind of so much of a hellscape because the Venn diagram of social media age and tabloid age was was still in the middle portion. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunate. Yeah. It's like they suffered the worst of both worlds in a way. Definitely. I mean, also Jamie Lynn being pregnant and ending Zoe one hundred and one is sort of, I mean, just the the fact that teen pregnancy was so in the zeitgeist at the time. Like, I think like the novelty of being able to talk about it on TV or like in shows was still there. Like, without it just being taboo. What I'm trying to say is, teen pregnancy was very much a topic in everyone's minds, and I'm pretty sure this is when Secret Life of the American Teenager was happening too. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I think what you're, like, what you're trying to get at is that, like, although Juno could be viewed as, like, an anti-choice film now, at that time, it was, like, a refreshing take
1: on this type of storyline. Yes, definitely. Like, she wasn't traumatized. Well, she wasn't, like, leading with her fear and trauma about being pregnant. Yeah. Which was rare. yeah. Okay. So Audrey, what do you remember about when you saw this movie the first time?
0: I don't remember anything about when I saw this movie the first time. I don't even know when I saw it for the first time, but I don't think it was I think I was relatively young.
1: Like I think I was probably in middle school or some I mean it came out it came out in December of 2017, so you would have been halfway through 5th grade when it came out. 2017. Shit, sorry. Two thousand seven. You would have been halfway through fifth grade. Yeah,
0: I think I, maybe I saw it in like twenty ten or twenty eleven or twenty
1: twelve, something like that. Yeah. So this movie came out when I was halfway through seventh grade, and I feel like this movie, along with Five Hundred Days of Summer and like Super Bad, sort of sort of fit into like my later. Uh, sleepover movie uh, category. Like when I think of this movie, I think of my high school best friend, Allie, if you're listening, hello. The soundtrack is so just violently- Yeah, it's violent. 2007, like unrelenting slacker folk music. Like, yeah. oh my God. I think of that. I think of how Juno as a character was like the blueprint in a lot of ways about like how to be- not like other girls,
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> um, which there's and, obviously we can talk about this after the fact, but there is more to the actor playing Juno than, and I feel right. like I feel like knowing Elliot's history now, it like makes sense, but the totally. way that that contributed to to a not like other girls, like, <laughs> like culture, literally
1: not like other girls, is
0: really interesting. Yeah. Like it's really it's interesting true. now. It is.
1: And also, how interesting is it that his first role was specifically, like, his, his, well, not his first role, but, like, this big, big, big role for him was, like, specifically about pregnancy. Yeah, like, the anatomy of a woman. Yes. Just much to think about. Yeah. So, okay. There is so much to talk about with this movie. Um, And if you have not seen it, it is available, like, only on Amazon Prime and you have to rent it, right? I don't know. You looked it up, (laughs) not me. (laughs) Yes. So that was the only thing I could find. So go... Maybe you have an old DVD from, like, years and years ago. Just go find it. Oh, my gosh. Go to the library. Oh, yeah. Duh. Go to the library if you're so fortunate. Um... (laughs) and get a copy and then circle on back and we will unpack this movie together. We are back, everyone, uh, ready to just dive headfirst into 2007's Best Screenplay Winner, a rarity for this program. So let's start (laughs) with the good things. Um, For me, I mostly have a lot of notable things, uh, but Audrey, you go first, and maybe I'll just react to your things. I like the intro sequence. I think
0: they're are moments where I would think it's, like, too much, maybe. Mm-hmm. Or, like, it's, like, mm, trying to be something it's not. I don't know. But I, I think on this past watch, I felt like
1: it was a good stylistic choice. Like what specifically? The animation?
0: Uh, yeah, the animation and just having the intro sequence be that long. Um, yeah. And, like, really getting into it. Like, it's it's kind of like a tone. It's like a... This is what our tone is going to be. And so like get right. on board.
1: Type right. Of thing. When I when I watched it, I was I was on mom and dad's elliptical in the basement at their house and I turned off all the lights. So I was like working out in the dark but watching Juno on my laptop from across the room and I was watching that animated opening sequence and just thinking about how that like aesthetic was such a thing in like 2007, like through like 2010, 2011. Um, it kind of reminds me of the season slides in 500 days of summer. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, it's like a similar thing. And it, you know, it just takes me back to like my mod cloth, like handlebar mustache, high school experience. (laughs) And, you know, early high school experience. And that's an unfortunate part of my past, but I'm here to own up to it today on Sleepover Cinema. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, Audrey, what else?
0: <laughs> um, the line went. You know how Juno's best friend Leah? They're talking about how she loves teachers, <laughs> like she yes. like has crushes on teachers. When she says, "Um, oh my gosh, I love Woody Allen." <laughs> yes,
1: I wrote that down too. <laughs> that was so funny. Like it's so on the nose. But yeah, great.
0: it was so on the nose. And like, I think that's why it st- stuck out to
1: us is because you aren't expecting the line to be so on the nose, but it works. Right. right. And like a bit more edgy to be that on the nose in 2007 compared to now. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: One thing about watching it this time through, I mean, I hadn't seen it since probably before college. So mm-hmm. I have learned a lot, seen a lot of films and listened to other music and like grown a lot with my references. And so Mm -hmm. the B-roll that they use, like the, the style that they chose is like, Juno will be talking about something and you'll see like B-roll clips of it. Um, which I like, it's like a documentary type of twist to, to a narrative film. But the references, I caught them, almost all of them this time. Ooh. And I was like, ha-ha. I don't know yeah. what that means, but I feel smart this time. Yes. Um, one thing I really appreciated and kind of, like, like basically Jennifer Garner in this movie, like, broke my heart. And I was like, "She, this is yeah. so sad. And she did I such know. a good job. Um Yeah. Like, that scene in the mall is so... Where she's, like, trying to feel the baby. It's, like, so sad. It is really sad. And also very heartwarming at the same time. Yeah. Um. I noticed some really bold, like, full fade choices. Like, at the end of a scene. Yeah. Yeah. It would just go a full fade to black and sound as well. Like, no crossover with the next scene. And I was like, and the the mall is a good example of that. Like, at the end of the mall scene, it's a shot of Juno's face, like, reacting to Vanessa, who feels the baby, and then it goes completely to black. And I was like, yeah, that's a good choice. Yeah. But whenever I see that, it's, like, a little jarring
1: But then you think, well, it's there for a reason. Like, we're supposed to, like, ruminate on that a little bit. That moment had gravitas, and now they're telling us just in case we hadn't felt it. (laughs)
0: Yeah, they're telling us to think about it for a second. The shot of the girl who has a stink eye. (laughs) Yes. That was so well planted in there i really yeah <laughs> it was the kind of like absurdist thing that would be in like napoleon
1: dynamite or something yes oh my god wait so i actually wrote down that i felt like this movie had like there were some stylistic reverberations of napoleon dynamite yeah. in the way that this movie was shot <laughs> which makes sense
0: timeline yes, wise totally Totally. And, like, if I had been an indie filmmaker, then I would have definitely probably tried to go for something in that tone. Yeah. Um. Although, then you kind of look a little derivative. That's the only issue with it. Yeah. But, like, Juno does a good job of channeling that energy without feeling derivative of other derivative. movies. Yeah. Right. I cried. <laughs> Girl, I cried. (laughs) So, when did you cry? I can't even remember now. I think it, I think I was like fighting it back. I was fighting for my life (laughs) watching this movie. Yeah. Um, I think the mall scene might have been one of them. I don't remember, but yeah, it's just generally it kind of got me. Yeah.
1: Do you have any other good things? That was the end. Okay. Mine were. Oh, okay. Well, so I already said the thing about the dialogue. I feel like the dialogue has aged really, really well, and it struck me as way less quirky as it once was. Mm -hmm. Um, There were just parts of the script that were just so 2007 that just – like, I could even say it's a bad thing, but to me, because of, you know, we're nostalgic people, it just got me. And one of those things was when Leah and Juno are sitting in the park and they're looking at the penny savers. Yeah. Um. And Juno describes the ideal couple that yeah. she wants to take her baby. And she's like, you know, like 35 year old graphic designer guy with like a cool Asian girlfriend who rocks out on the bass guitar. I was like, no! But also, <laughs> like, that is so how things were at the time. Like, for some reason, like, Asian girlfriends, like, cool Asian girlfriends on base, like, that was such a weird thing that came up all the time. Probably because of Weezer, to be totally honest. Yeah. Um, I think that is why. But I was just kind of like, LMAO, I feel like I'm embarrassed. <laughs> I was embarrassed, yeah. <laughs> there was this book that... Allie Miller had my, I said her last name, whatever. Again, if she's here, she knows what I'm talking about. Um, But there was this book that she had that was like the guide to being emo or something, but it was like, or like hipsters. And it was like different types of like alternative people with like illustrations and diagrams and stuff. And I'll like find it and link to it in the episode description or something. Cause if you are my age, like 25 and were ever emo at all, you will really appreciate this book. But anyway, just this, this book in this movie just go together in my mind. And, uh, anyway, I'm kind of rambling, but whatever, it's a moment in my brain. And then I also just in general appreciated that Juno as a character is like demonstrated to not have daddy issues. Mm-hmm. Which is great, obviously, she has some weird stuff with her mom, which I think is more relevant to the story. But like, I just love that the thing with Mark doesn't have to do with her not having a father that loves her, yeah. because clearly her father is like very present and cares a lot,
0: yeah, and their reaction to it, both of them is really good, yes, like
1: Definitely. they're like, well, all right, <laughs> I guess we're gonna... Juno's parents, yeah. Yeah, the only thing is when they were like, well, I hoped that she had like hit someone with her car or like done something yeah. or something. And I'm like, honestly, this is like not that bad. Like, no. Yeah. When we get to the notable section, we can talk about the anti choice uh, thing again. I would like to. But the bad stuff, did you have anything written under bad?
0: Yeah, a few things, but it's not, like, for real. It's not, like, that serious. But yeah. I was saying, I don't really know if I buy the best friendship between Leah and Juno. It's, like, it's, they're fun, and and they definitely have a similar sense of humor. But, like, you just look at, like, the landscape of high school and, like, generally what that would be. And, like, mm-hmm. I don't really see it for them, but... Yeah, we'll go with it, and like I'm sure there are similar friendships in the world, but like, <laughs> I was right, like, it's just kind of rare. I noticed that this time I felt—I think I felt a lot more conflicted about the in like inappropriate relationship between Mark and Juno, mm-hmm. like. But I realize now, like, this isn't this doesn't belong in the worst category. It's not like worse. It's just like I have a much higher awareness. Because back back in the day, like I would watch movies like this and not really think about how that relationship is a part of like a long history of similar relationships in the world. Uh-huh. Like, I would think about it like, no, we're watching Juno the individual and Mark the individual. Like, I didn't think about things as much in their systems and, like, how things work in the world because I didn't have that knowledge back then. Yes. So, yeah, this time I felt a lot more scared for her,
1: I think. I really was very struck by what it is that actually sort of brought Juno and Mark together in this story more this time around. Like the fact that Juno is like so hell bent on growing up and like being done with Mm -hmm. high school and like being the coolest person and all that, but like in her own unique way and the way that Mark is like embarrassed of his circumstances also, and like wants to go back and like wants a do over like it, 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 interacts in a very interesting way like those Mm -hmm. two motivations yeah it's like it's like they're both trying to like come towards the middle like
0: if they could meet in the middle he's trying to age down and and she's trying to
1: age up be more mature like yes I also wrote under bad that I got sick of the soundtrack kind of fast
0: (laughs) oh that's what I wrote too that was my last thing I wrote it becomes a little heavy-handed on the indie singer-songwriter music
1: (laughs) It really does. And the thing is, like, it wasn't even like, like, okay, I'm sorry. I am sorry. But it's not even like good singer-songwriter music. No. It's like, I went to the mall because <laughs> I wanted a smoothie and you didn't like me. So I went to sleep. Like, that's it. The yeah. entire time. With, like, shitty acoustic guitar. And I'm like, okay, this could be like one, th- like, if one third of the soundtrack was this, it would be, be fine. It'd be acceptable, but it's every song. <laughs>
0: But it's every single song. They ate it up in two thousand seven. But they're literally like, they're literally like, I went to McDonald's and I saw you. Then I got (laughs) on my bike and
1: went school. (laughs)
0: Like,
1: (laughs) honestly the uh, the amount of parodies we could make if I had my guitar (laughs) with me too like we could make a whole episode just of like Juno song parodies like without even trying
0: it wouldn't yeah Uh, it would not be hard you could say anything
1: yes it's just such a moment though like it really was such a moment in the in the culture (laughs) for sure um okay but notable things what did you have
0: I I think you've you've like created this category of notable things that I don't
1: I don't have. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, okay. So I guess I'll just go through mine. So oh boy. Okay. So I'm sitting here thinking and looking at my list and trying to deliberate the amount of Personal information to disclose to the sleepover cinema audience. But I think that the biggest difference for me between having watched it a long time ago, the last time I watched this was probably high school, and now is that I have had an accidental pregnancy (laughs) and have gone through this process. I did not have a child. I had an abortion and it was totally fine. It was literally 1000% fine, but it was a kind of messy situation at the very beginning. So just looking back on it now or watching the movie now, like one thing that I found really funny um, with my life experience now is the part where Leah's like, okay, so Juno, like, where are you going to go to get your abortion? And she's like, <laughs> yeah. you know, I think I'm going to go to women now because they help <laughs> women now. Because, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> like, that really is, like, the, what these places were named. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I found that to be really amusing. And I think the, the thing that I was, like, really sitting with, though, is, like, I didn't really get it. Like, when she goes into the clinic Mm. and the thing that drives her away is, like, people, like, sniffing and, like, scratching and stuff, I was like, Yeah,
0: it's like a false,
1: it's like a weird, like, false correlation.
0: But I I think they're just trying to portray anxiety. (laughs)
1: Like, I think that's it. It kind of made me feel like they were trying to, like, it came across to me, like, Juno has, like, like, a sensory thing where, like, she Mm -hmm. can't, like, handle that. I'm like, are they trying to say that she, like, has some other shit going on? So I found that to be weird. Um, I also just kind of felt like Juno as a character would not be deterred by the girl outside the clinic saying lies, which is that embryos have fingernails. Yeah. (laughs) Like, I just didn't really buy that that would happen like it just seems a bit extreme Mm -hmm. and i think like to diablo's point about this being like an anti-choice movie i will say that one thing that really struck me is that like they make it seem like just having a baby and giving it up for adoption is like a manageable choice for a 16 year old Yeah. yeah and like It totally can be. It is 100% up to the person who's pregnant. But, like, it's not... It doesn't impede in her life as much as it realistically would. would. Yeah, Yeah. and, like, why... How is
0: she... Her her dad is just letting her do, like, everything, too. Her dad is just like, yeah, you can just drive the minivan hours away all the time um, when you're literally about to burst. Also, the amount... um, She gets big so fast, uh, well, they
1: do have the whole, like, the season's, seasons but, like,
0: But, like, it, because of how much we don't see, she gets big really fast. And then it feels like her mental state hasn't developed the same level that her body has. Like, at yes. that point, you would have gone through some shit pregnancy-wise. And we don't see anything re- no, actually relating really. to
1: the process of growing a fetus. So well, you kind of do like in like the throwing up in Bren's urn thing. And like you kind of do with like the ultrasound scene, which I do love that scene. Mm -hmm, Me too. But I just. But like, not really not like the daily trials and tribulations. Yeah. I think the anti-choice like, like angle is sort of like, look like this quirky alternative liberal girl did it like yeah <laughs> like just have the baby you know and it's just at the time i agree with what we said earlier that like it was a refreshing take on this sort of story i think that now it uh is a little bit it's reductive it's a bit reductive yeah but at the same time it's like partly
0: refreshing that they're not leading with trauma but it's just
1: nice it's also like inaccurate, but it's also like, God forbid, like this is a thing that happens to people all the time. Like, like I'm a perfect example. Like this sort of thing happens all the time. And for some people, it's a big deal. For some people, it's not a big deal. And I think the fact that it Is a thing that happens to Juno, but at the end of the story, she's happy, it's okay, and she's kind of, like, chosen to embrace her childhood by being with Polly and, like, Mm -hmm. not trying to rush through things. I find that to be nice still. I think that that still holds up by her not being, like, ruined by what happened to her. I also just the part the another thing that made me feel like Juno wouldn't have had this baby is when uh, she's talking about how to like choosing to have the baby. And she's like, yeah, maybe, well, they'll all canonize me for being so selfless that I like had this baby. And but the thing is, it's kind of it it is like reemphasizing the stigma by being like, it's selfish to have an abortion Mm -hmm. like that is sort of like the implication beneath it which it's not it's literally just your choice in life but it was 2007 it's fine we don't need to beat the shit out of it
0: those stigmas are obviously still extremely present so like the fact that you yes. can you can literally be somebody who's pregnant who knows that they want to have an abortion and goes and gets one and still have all those like stigmatized thoughts in your mind or, you know, like you can be prejudiced
1: against yourself. Yes, you totally can. That is absolutely true. There's like layers and layers and layers to all of this. And it's something that I'm even still sort of encountering challenges with. Like I've been volunteering with pro-choice neighbor Ohio. And even in the work we do there, I'm on the Digital Organizing Council, sometimes, like, they'll, like, obviously, on this team, we're very, very, very pro-choice. And even sometimes for me, like, stuff will kind of hit, like, a sensitive spot. Or Mm -hmm. or I'll just discover, like, new pockets of stigma that I've internalized that I, like, didn't even realize were there. Mm -hmm. And... It's um a deep well of shit. So Yeah.
0: And it's like the type of thing that you can really easily not
1: confront in yourself if it doesn't happen to you. Yes, that is so true. It's complicated. It's so complicated. This is more than you all bargain for.
0: And I, yeah, but, and the, um it, it obviously too like is very much influenced by religion which is not something that they really get into in the movie it's only kind of alluded to by the girl outside of women now yes but they don't really get into it which I kind of appreciate it only because that it has very much been done in a way (laughs) like yeah I I don't know I wasn't missing it basically yeah yeah. But it could have gone that way. Like imagine if like um the stepmom was really religious or something.
1: Yeah, but you know what? I was so happy that she wasn't antagonized in this movie. She's like one mm-hmm. of the best characters. <laughs> I know she's so fun and she's like so
0: supportive and but like a very real stepmom. Like she's a very real mother figure. Yes, I totally agree.
1: I have like a a kind of like Statement for the conclusion, but before we do that, um, the what about problematic things? Do you have any? I mean,
0: when you're dealing with like a self aware movie that is that the central themes are you know controversial topics or like taboo things, mm-hmm. it, if they're handled well, you know, generally speaking, it's not going to be perceived as problematic. Like, what's going on is problematic, but the way that it was handled (laughs) in the movie was fair. I think it was fair. And generally speaking, I think it's aged well, other than the fact that watching it now, it can be perceived as anti-choice. But I think that mostly people who would come away with that would not really be thinking about The climate of when it was released but you know you can still stand stand by that like I'm sure there were people in 2007 who thought the same thing obviously yeah
1: so definitely my only nitpicky problematic thing is that I hated that she shat on Polly's mom for being fat (laughs) oh yeah I was like, Why? Are we oh, yeah, she about was like n- she was like needlessly brutalizing, yeah. she was like, Mrs. Bleeker was probably really pretty at some point, but now she's just like a fat muppet or something yeah like, that. like a. Like, Lord of the Rings character or something. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like the Hobbit or something. I was like, um... What if you just said that she was a bitch? Or like, not a bitch, but like, what if she was just mean? What if you just
0: had like a bad experience with
1: her? Like, it didn't need to be about her physicality. Yeah, totally. So that was really all I had with problematic. But kind of like the thing that... So, okay... You cried watching this movie, right? Mm-hmm. Did you cry at the end? Um, I don't think so.
0: I, I, It's weird. I, like, already forget when I cried. That's because I cry a lot.
1: <laughs> I also cry a lot, but I don't really cry in movies that much. Yeah. Um, And I cried when she had the baby. I am not speaking for all people who have had abortions in this moment, but just from my own lived experience, like just a little bit of background. um, I found out I was pregnant with an IUD in... So that is not how it's supposed to work, Um, but that is how it happened. And I was in Florida with my family at the time, but Audrey was not there. (laughs) It was my parents and me and Josh, who's my boyfriend. And it was like really into us dating or really early into us dating found out I was pregnant, had to go. T- Cause when you get pregnant with an IUD in, everyone's like, you got to call in for reinforcements. It could be an <laughs> ectopic pregnancy. Like your uterus could explode at any minute or like your yeah. fallopian tubes. Because when you, it's, it was this whole thing. And so we were like in the, e- like the emergency room in Sarasota, Florida, and it was really, really stressful. And then I had to come back to Ohio. So I got to be in two red States for this experience. Yeah, And, uh, Basically, it was really hard to find care because of the fact that I had this IUD in, and the laws are really weird in Ohio. And it was just, like, a very stressful experience from the like from the medical perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, but it ended up being totally fine. Like, it was not pleasant, um, but it really was not bad, and I really don't think about it that often. People can do this, and it really does not have to be trauma or anything. But I think the thing that like the one, like the one bittersweet element of the situation for me that I kind of felt like a little bit represented was a little bit represented in the ending of Juno was like when, so after Juno has the baby and at the beginning where she's like, And when I'm using she, it's because I'm talking about Juno, the character. Um, She's like, I didn't tell Polly that I was having the baby because he like had a track (laughs) feet. And like, Mm -hmm. I wanted him to do well, like that, that I just appreciated. But then also like when he came to the hospital afterward and she was like, laying there and was, like, being sad because they, like, chose to not see the baby. And, like, th- it's not clarified whether she's crying because she didn't see the baby or whether she's crying because it was stressful or maybe she's mm-hmm. just tired. Like, you don't really know what it is, but, like, for me, kind of how it landed was, like, in life, I would love to have a child, like, and I definitely plan on doing that at some point. And, like, as long as nothing horribly goes wrong, like, I do plan on that being with Josh. And so, like... The experience uh-huh. of it, of like getting pregnant and like it being with the IUD and it being like super un, super uh, unprovoked, if you will, <laughs> um, and being like this could this could have been really 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 great news. Like this could have been yeah. cool because I really like this person that I'm with. Um, but like now is not the time. Like I was 23, and just like no, <laughs> like how fucking no. Um, that I just felt like that struck that sort of emotional nerve for me. But then like they continue to go on and like have good times together and be happy. And like Vanessa is happy because she has this baby and like Mm -hmm. it works out for everyone and like everyone moves on. It just, it, it made me feel good and emotional and, It's just a perspective that I never could have had on this Uh, if I was watching it 10 years ago, which I also did watch it 10 years ago. So, yeah, Um, that's kind of my, like, (laughs) my personal experience tie in. But yeah, so that's kind of emo. But I really only am being so bold about talking about this here because, like, I feel like a lot of people aren't comfortable talking about the fact that they've had abortions if they've had them. And it's really Mm -hmm. important to me to, like, share it with people because if you don't know anyone who's had one, it can be really scary to think about. And, you know, I'm living proof, baby. (laughs) It can be totally fine. And it is fine. Mm -hmm. So um, that's my spiel. But Juno is good representation. (laughs) Yeah. Even though she doesn't have an abortion. In a way. The movie is not about abortion at all. No. Um,
0: but you know what? We've got many, many, many road trip abortion movies in
1: the recent <laughs> years. Yes, we do.
0: And like, yes, I get it. It is important. And it's a good premise, too. But at this point, I think there's too many. Also, the, the people who star in them, it's always white girls.
1: Yes, and I, and Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, wait. That's one thing that I actually did want to bring up. Yeah. Which is, okay, we didn't even talk about the fact that this movie is, like, extremely so white, white, first of all. It's the whitest movie ever. And this is the whole thing is that it's, like, the fact that she, like, we still respect Juno as a character in 2007 because she's, like, a clever white girl who mm-hmm. has a family that's present, who she is, like, in love with the guy who she had sex with. Like, there is this whole... Mm-hmm like mythos around like an oh like a good pregnancy or like a good abortion or like if you're pregnant in circumstances that you weren't anticipating being pregnant like there's there's just so many intersections that come into play of how this shit is received
0: yeah um yeah like this is I, this is so
1: pal- palatable totally for, it's for it's the so general, general public yeah yeah and That's also a thing that I've thought about a lot, too, in my experience in, like, organizing. Like, I've barely done any at this point. But, like, I can get on this podcast and talk about the fact that I had an abortion without it being so scary. Because, A, I had an IUD in. So, it was, like, an act of God. And also, I was, like, with my boyfriend who, like, we're still together to this day. And, like, had health Mm -hmm. insurance. Like, everything was taken care of. Like, it wasn't... Yeah, there's, like, factors that contribute to... There's so many factors that play Mm -hmm. into it. I think that that is also definitely true of this movie. Like, I don't think it would have won Best Picture if it wasn't so white. Or not Best Picture. It would not have won Best Screenplay (laughs) if it wasn't so white, you know?
0: You're doing revisionist history over here. I know, (laughs) I know, I know. But I'm correcting myself every time, so... It's also funny to look at you look at the movies that it was nominated against for Best Picture, it's like, um, there will be blood and no country for old men. (laughs) And like, (laughs) these like, just the most uh, male, you know, aggressive type of, movies that are generally nominated for best Picture obviously since 2007 2008 we've had a lot we've had a lot of progress as far as Oscar noms go but it's nowhere near where it needs to be but looking at Juno in that lineup it's like Juno was the most woke thing ever like yeah totally you know like this movie is so off the the path of what usually would be nominated so it it kind of knocked it started like knocking at that ceiling um yeah but yeah and watching it now it's like oh
1: <sighs> Audrey would you like to read this
0: citation from King Roger oh yeah yeah we'll we'll okay. end on this i Roger Ebert wrote a really nice review for Juno and it's something about when he writes really glowing reviews, it, like, brings me joy. So here's his quote from his review on Juno. There are moments of instinctive lightning comedy, Bren's response to a nurse's attitude during Juno's sonar scan and her theory about doctors when Juno wants a painkiller during childbirth, moments that blindside us with truth, as when Mac and Juno talk about the possibility of True and lasting love, moments that reveal Polly as more than he seems. What he says when Juno says he's cool and doesn't even need to try. And the breathtaking scene when Juno and Vanessa run into each other in the mall and the future of everyone is essentially decided. Jennifer Garner glows in that scene.
1: Yep, it is true.
0: I thought that summed it up
1: really well. So, are we in agreement that this movie is still good? and worthwhile. Yeah.
0: I think I think I there's agree. reasons that it is like regardless of any any hindsight issues it has, um there's still really important like benchmarks in both film and culture and society and politics that kind of culminate they they have like a cross
1: section in this movie so yes i i agree i hope that this movie is in like the national archive or whatever Mm -hmm. i feel like it does do so much about communicating the time period and um you know it fits into the canon of like weird pregnancy movies very nicely and also just like a great piece of art in many ways and especially for reflecting on the career of Elliot Page who's so mm-hmm. talented um his performance is unreal in this movie and it really really does hold up and i enjoyed it thoroughly yeah we we didn't
0: i feel like we didn't even really touch on performances because obviously we know they're all they're all really good and i don't think we yeah, have like to goes state without that i saying yeah. yeah
1: and if the discourse <laughs> of my uh personal shit was helpful to you or informative to you. I hope that it was. I hope I'm not just like shit posting into the void <laughs> about what has happened. Um but I think that's basically it. Yeah, I think we've said all we can say. Before we go, um, don't forget, <laughs> slight tone shift, but don't forget that we do have this trivia happening on Friday, <laughs> August 13th. It's going to be really, really fun. I cannot emphasize enough how good Darren is at writing trivia. And we want to meet you over Zoom. Like we really do, especially everyone who we're like DMing with every week who mm-hmm. loves the show so much. It would be great to interact. So uh, feel free to go to the link in our Instagram bio and you you can register there and it'll be a grand old time.
0: So, with that being said, I hope you enjoyed this review of Juno and we will be back next week with a brand new film.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Just kidding. In it's a, not brand new. But. We're about to get we're about to get into some uh actually the next movie we're doing came out the same year as this movie. Yeah, so this really so, two sides of the same coin, like. Oh my God, yeah. We're getting into some, we'll have some more feminism things to talk about next week, even though we didn't yeah. really even talk about feminism here, but not explicitly, but we will explicitly <laughs> be talking about it in the next one. So have a good week and we will see you then. Bye. Bye. Bye.
0: You can find more from us at evergreenpodcast.com sleepover-cinema and keep up with our latest creative projects at toopingpictures.com If you want to watch our show as well as listen, we're on YouTube too. Search Sleepover Cinema or go to the link tree in our Instagram bio. We're on Instagram and Twitter at twopingpictures and would love to hear from you there. We're also on TikTok at sleepover cinema, and that's really where the party
1: is at. And if you like the show, if it brings back evocative memories of childhood or tweendom or babysitting, share the episode with a few friends. Leave us an iTunes review telling us what movie you'd like to see us cover next. And leave us a review if you like the show. And if you don't, don't. Sleepover Cinema is a production of Evergreen Podcasts. Produced, edited, and engineered by us, Hannah, and Audrey Leach. Sleepover Cinema is mixed by Sean Rule Hoffman with theme music by Josh Perlman Hall. Special thanks to executive producers Michael D'Aloia and David Moss. We'll chat again soon.
0: Bye. You've watched them in unforgettable adventures, love affairs, and tragedies. Now it's time to hear their own remarkable stories. From the makers of Death of a Rockstar and Death of a Sports Star, this is Death Ready? of a Film Star. And passion